welcome to The Being Leader. I'm Annabelle Graham. Welcome to this episode of The Being Leader, the podcast that discusses how we need to show up and be as leaders, reflecting on what impacts our behaviours, our relationships and our outcomes, and allows us to focus more on our approach to leading ourselves, our teams and our organisations. So it's been 12 months since I started recording these podcasts, and this is the last episode of Series 1, before I take a break for the summer to reflect and start planning for Series 2, which will start later in the year. However, I thought I'd end up with a wide-ranging episode, which really gets to the heart of what it means to be a being leader. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Joy Maitland. Joy Maitland is an award-winning executive coach and author who's a firm believer in continuous learning and improvement. Her motto, be the difference, make the difference, has served as her North Star in everything she does. Joy has a wealth of senior level corporate management experience, as well as a continued involvement with various organisations at board level, which puts her in a unique position to help executives advance their mission and gain greater success in their respective fields. Joy, welcome. Thank you so much, Annabelle, for that wonderful introduction. You're very welcome. So look, you, you recently published a book from Alpha to Zen, um, Leadership for a brief, Brave New World, and I can't wait to dig into that. But what I really like to start with, I think, when I have guests is just to give the listeners a little bit of a sense of about you, you know, uh-huh. and what got you to where you are today? Wow. Um, you should have interviewed a guest who is much younger than I am, and then it would be a quite short response. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, okay, so where may do not I... be anywhere near so interesting, Joyce. So you know, I'm, I'm up for the longer one. <laughs> okay, so okay, where who am I? I, I? I can say that I was born in the Caribbean, in the one on the wonderful island of Trinidad, as in Trinidad and Tobago, and I've been living in the UK since 1985. Okay. Um, in terms of where I am now and how I got here, I think it was, you know, I don't know. I I tend to be someone who goes with the flow to some extent. I like a certain level of planning, but then I am happy to change that plan and, you know, adapt and be a bit flexible in that respect. So my career, saw me start in, uh, I was in banking, I was in telecommunications, I was in marketing, I got involved in market research. Um, I even um, at one point toyed with the idea of of getting involved in theater and I wanted to study, you know, performing arts. I, um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah. and uh, that's another story. Um, Save that for over a glass. I know, I know. And um, yeah, I've even recorded um, a single (laughs) so many years ago for the dance charts and all that sort of thing. But in terms of um, leadership and where I got to, it it was so totally unplanned. I didn't even plan my career, to be honest, Um, which is probably strange for someone of my age because a lot of people um, knew what they wanted to be, people who were around me and they were going for it and it was a kind of a job for life situation and they were going to, and that never suited me. You know, the whole idea of 
you know, work with one organization for all of your life. I just couldn't see myself doing it. I couldn't, I, I used to have a dream about being in charge. I think I probably was watching some, I don't know, some series on television at the time, but I want, always wanted to be in charge of a department or a division and uh, see myself behind a desk, you know, in my little mind, uh, as, a, as a girl, I had painted the picture of my office with the big desk and all that sort of thing until I got there and I suddenly thought, oh. <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> just paper, it's not much fun. <laughs> I know, I mean, so it wasn't in terms of what sort of industry or anything it was kind of like get the big desk get sits <laughs> seated behind this big desk and make decisions have you been watching dallas <laughs> oh something like that i'm sure it must have been something like that that prompted me to want to get to the big desk and have a lot of authority you know and but what i found is on my journey there i met i worked for and with a lot of really people now looking back at it who were poor leaders um, in the way that they handled challenges and that sort of thing. And I think to some extent it's because they were largely untrained. You know, it's like having children. You sort of like, you have the children and then you learn to be a parent. And that was your training as a leader. Even for me, growing into leadership, that was it. You became a manager and then you somehow learned what management was all about. And it depend, and whether you were good or not depended on partly on your values, although we didn't call it that at the time, um, but certainly on the people who were around you or who you learned from. Either you said, I will never want to be that kind of manager, or I really like his or her style of management. Their style is what best suits me and therefore I want to emulate that, you know? Absolutely, Um, I can totally concur with that. Yeah, so so you do that, but then you have to think, well, is what I'm doing suited to what I'm trying for the results, the results I want to achieve? And then you start adapting and you're still not thinking about leadership styles and you're not thinking about anything except like to, deliver results because you have pride in your work and you you have ambition and you want to deliver results. So then, so you kind of adapt with that. Now I used to run um, a large call center. Again, I fell into market research. I was doing it part-time and then became full-time. Um, and I used to run a, this massive call center where um, we had people called supervisors and, and these supervisors, <laughs> yes, supervisors kind of uh, manage teams and they, they had to produce results. You know, you have to, you have a client and the client, and we had, it was a big market researcher, a, a real, a global research firm. So we had clients from all over the world and some of the biggest, right, um, household names. And so when the client service people sold the project, you had to deliver it. And I just felt asking people who were called supervisors to run big projects like that and teams of individuals who like, there could be 20 people in their team to produce results untrained in terms of leadership and management. They were technically trained. They knew how to, how to do that. 
Um, but they largely didn't have any leadership training at all. And to my mind, that didn't, you know, didn't work. It, it couldn't work and it didn't sit right with me. And I also thought about how I could value these individuals and show that we cared about them, their futures and that sort of thing. So the first thing I did is change the name, that, that title supervisor to team leader, because for me, uh, uh, that word leader was important, you know, and I, it meant that I expected that much more of them, but that I was prepared, I was also prepared to invest in them. How did I invest in them? Well, you know, budgets are budgets, so you don't suddenly get loads of money to train these individuals. But as a director, I was often, you will know this, Annabelle, you run these things. So I was often flown here or there on this leadership program and that leadership program. And this is later on after I had made many, many mistakes on the way up, right? So now I'm a director and I get to fly off to different places, Malta for a weekend to learn about whatever. And, um, and I just, one day I just thought, well, how could I help my team leaders and my teams become better in terms of performance, perform better, be more effective, more efficient, whatever, be happier even in terms of the work they were doing. So I started coming back from those um, long courses, those weekends away um, and creating workshops for my team leaders. And then I continued doing that for, you know, as I rose to the ranks, managers, and then I had a team of directors and I was always, my first thing is, you know, how can I help them be successful? Because my feeling is that nobody goes into work to do a bad job. That would be boring. It's tiresome. You know, people go in and if they're doing a, what we will term a bad job and not producing results is because of two things. One is I can't do or I won't do. You know, in most cases, for me, I found it was a can't do situation. People were ambitious, they wanted to learn, they were eager to learn and to grow, but they just didn't know how, you know? And unless they are developed or trained in a particular way, offered an opportunity to grow in their own way, then you might as well give up because you're gonna lose them anyway, you know, for one reason or the other. And so it was important to me always, always throughout my career as I managed people to ensure that, uh, you know, it was about empowerment. Mm -hmm. um, and even my company now, Enemo, it's spelled I-N-E-M-M-O, and it stands for, it's the first two letters of inspire, empower, and motivate. Inspire, empower, motivate. Why Enemo? Because in my experience of leading people for how many years and training people for how many years, I feel those three, three words best encapsulate what my mission is, mm -hmm. my personal mission. And I think, um, you know, it bears fruit. If you can inspire someone, then empower and motivate them, keep them motivated, 
even if they're not in the role of their choice, if it's not, even if they're not in the career of their choice, maybe they're just on the journey to becoming what they want to be. When they're with you, for the time that they're with you, they will give up their best. That, that's just my experience. So, so I, I don't know if I've quite answered your question, but I gave you a kind of a bit of history of joy and then arriving at the company. So Enemo was founded in 2005. Mm-hmm. And at that time I thought, oh, right, I've learned so much. Essentially, I've always wanted to be a coach and really work with others on a one-to-one basis. Now I founded the company in 2005, but I didn't go full-time into it until 2009. Um, So it was a coaching company, nothing else. Yeah. And I started coaching people who were in the US because I'd come home from work after a very long day and they're five hours behind me or four hours behind me. I found that I could work with people in that way. So I'd coach them in the evenings and yeah. some, sometimes weekends. So it started that way. Then I quickly, and because a lot of people who came to me were managers and they, you know, it, it, it dawned on me that a lot of the issues that I was helping them with, Maybe some of it is personal, but some of it was also professional. And would they benefit from my experience and expertise in, in relation to the development of their leaders, their own leaders? And people began to invite me into their business to talk to their managers, to talk with other leaders, to do, you know. And before I knew it, I was training people on you know different aspects not just of um not in a in in the sense of just leadership but at first it was operational leadership it was uh, uh, you know organizational development because i'd spent years working you know doing budgets and training people developing teams and all of that and structuring divisions so i found that i could assist them not just in their own personal development, personal and professional development, but also I could assist them in terms of their organizational development. So I did that for a bit. And then, um, so let's fast forward now to about 2015-ish, mm-hmm. 15, 16. I decided, no, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I really do want to just coach individuals. <laughs> you can pull back the other way. <laughs> I know, you know, I, I don't really want to be getting involved, you know, and and talking about quality assurance and, you know, health and safety and, or, and training them on how to do that. I really am focused on leadership, you know. I really think it's a core to to being this, the well-being of an individual. If you can learn what works for you within an, a certain environment, and if you can adapt to that environment, then everybody wins. You know, so I, I've come full circle. I still do a lot of leadership development training, but I'm happily also re-engage fully with coaching, you know, on a one-to-one basis. So that's me kind of me in a nutshell really fantastic and and I have to say yes I, I do I do get the you know going off for a long leadership weekend though I think you've worked obviously for a lot more classy company than I did because mine was usually a wet weekend in Wales on the Menai Straits 
It's why my 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 initial love of you know leadership development was crafted in outdoor experiential workshops, which involved you being in thermals. Oh wow! Building rafts. Oh, I've done that too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's my idea of joy. I, I absolutely adore doing stuff like that. But um, mm. yeah, you know, to persuade somebody to go and do it these days, they do look at you as if you're mad. Yeah, driving blindfolded. You yeah, know, yeah. navigating a course <laughs> yeah all of your... that good stuff yeah yeah well I have to I hasten to add for your uh, listeners that it's not just you in the car you mean guided <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a trust exercise absolutely yeah the dog's navigating it's fine yeah <laughs> so so absolutely. So, you know, as you said, your, your focus is very much coming that core leadership piece and, and I'm, I'm totally with you around you know, it, it is a real key thing, which I think even now we don't necessarily train everyone we put into a leadership, into a leadership space. Yeah. You know, if I think about some of the delegates on the different levels of programs I'm running, I, I've got a team who, yeah, have absolutely gone in that old fashioned of, oh, there you go. You're good at what you do. Let's make you the, let's make you the supervisor or sure. the leader. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and the, the frustration and the challenge that that brings is massive. So, so why, when you come to the think about the book why leadership for a brave new world you know i, I love a bit of aldous Hux, huxley but uh <laughs> <laughs> um a, a brave new world okay so in my head in my head you always it's always a brave new world you know never more so than it is currently you know what we're coming out of and going into um you know if you think about the way, you know, development has occurred over the last, uh, I don't know, let's say 20 years, let's say 20 years, the advent of uh, the internet and, and, and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, post-millennia. Yes. If you think about that, then you, you start thinking, wow, the speed at which we need to work and to learn and to grow today is incredible, you know? And why a brave new world? If you think about, and people's expectations have changed, you know, long, you know, when I first got into management, it was possible to say, Annabelle, you know, tomorrow I want you to move your desk from here to there. We have a new starter coming in. You might not have liked it, but you just get on and do it, right? Because I'm the boss, yeah? Now, you have to have a discussion. I have to send you, maybe I send you an email and say, can we meet to have a discussion? We have to have a discussion with you about it, how you feel about it. Now, I'm, I'm thinking the tone, my tone at the moment sounds like I'm against it. I'm not against asking people if it's okay and how they'd feel about it but I'm just kind of putting an accent on it to yeah. just demonstrate the differences. And then I might say to you, well, have a think about it overnight. And if you really feel that way about it, come and discuss with me in the morning. So that, that is at odds with the pace at which we need to move, right? Okay. Yeah. If you think about the, first of all, we started talking about the Gen Ys. Now the Gen Ys within 10 years will be out of, the workplace, right? 
So then we get to the, the um, not the Gen Y, sorry, the Gen Xs will be out of the workplace. Yeah. The Gen Ys or the millennials, as we call them, will now be in charge. 40 and terrified. <laughs> yes. They will, be, they will be in charge and maybe even looking at the latter part of their career, right? Um, um, and if you think about that, and everything we're talking about, or not, maybe not currently, but certainly within the last five years, I don't know if you found the same, it's like, oh, what the millennials want, or the millennials are different, and the ambitions are different, and they are, and they are. I mean, I, I mentor several of them, and I know in terms of aspiration, it's a whole different ball game, because now they know what is possible. You know, for me, when I was growing up, I was in the dark. I didn't have the internet and therefore my knowledge of what was possible was limited. What, yeah, was limited. Now they know what's possible. And now they have Facebook and they can compare themselves to their friends where, you know, the stage they are at in their careers. And they could start demanding things of their leaders within their organizations like development you know I want to grow and where am I going to be in how many years otherwise I'm out the door and the environmental impact and leaders have to juggle so many different balls now that it takes a lot of courage to be a leader why does it take a lot of courage because you can't just show up and do leadership it is a journey and a journey that changes can change every day. We're so interconnected as a world now that even if we're just, you know, a little shop on the high street, something that happens overseas in Europe could impact my business and therefore my ability to lead my people. You know, so knowledge is important understanding your people and them as individuals you know we have we have diversity we have inclusion and I always say when people talk about EDI I think the I is the most important you know inclusivity part of our of our motivational makeup yeah we belong and we fit in absolutely the belonging that you know that psychological safety that feeling that I am a being, I'm seeing, I'm, you're seeing me as I am. You know, I always say treating people equally is not the same as treating people fairly. No. You know, equal is not necessarily fair. And, and, and if you're interested in fairness and if you're interested, really interested in people and their development, then you see them as they are. Yeah. Not as you hope they would be or you think they might be, but you take the time to understand them. So again, you know, we can lump all of the Gen Zs into the same pot and say they want this. But I think that would be short-sighted of a leader to read a blog that says, oh, millennials want this or Gen Zs want this and they just go off and do it. It's still in an, it is incumbent upon you as a leader, especially today, to understand individual motivations and needs or needs and motivations. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think the interesting bit, as you said, you know, there's this profiling of the generations and there is a use to that um, mm. because, you know, I think I think we, we sit on the enlightened side to some extent. Sure. Because because we sit and read this. But yes. 
you know, but we probably also know that we'll go into organisations and talk to, you know, Bob or Janice or Terry or whoever it is in the middle of a business who's never really done that. And they've just had what they've had for so many years. And, And actually what they haven't considered, and I think the interesting, the bit that you said, you know, around why the expectations are very much different is every if we think about that generational shift through the different decades in which we're brought up with the context and the cultural influences and and cultural as in societal influences are so different as we go through you know how the world was in the mid 1980s or the 70s compared to how it was in the 90s or my if i look at my my brother who was born in 91 who has never not known you know, from the age of five or six, never not known that there was an internet. I mean, you know, that, yeah. they just live in that social world. Therefore, the cultural experiences are very different and the schooling is very different. You know, so we had the through the, the, the 90s into the 2000s, the I am special generation, which yes. is in some ways bred a little, you know, yeah. a, a huge context behind that. And which then influences it. So if we are looking at, you know, Bob, Terry and Janice, who have not recognized that there is that different um, peacock's tail, that different shaping that people have had, then yes, okay, you know, the stereotyping of a blog into Gen X, Y, Z, and, you know, Gen A doesn't help, but it gives them a little bit of an inkling and it starts to get them to realize, you know what, not everyone sees the same, the world the same way you do. And and that's the and but that's at the root of getting into the EDI landscape of going. Actually, you need to recognise your references are not their references. Therefore, you aren't going to be coming at this the same. Yeah. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't agree more. And one of the reasons I say I say so is because the influences have changed. Yeah. You know, when I started managing. Um, People, as I mentioned, people generally did what you said, you know, you didn't really, I, I, I'm the sort of manager who'd likely explain why, but many managers didn't, you know, many of my managers didn't, they just told you to do something and you just did it, you know, um, but the influences are different today. And so people understand what they can, what they their expectations are different. They can understand how far they could push boundaries or maybe they're boundaryless. I don't know. Uh, so now I was going to say something about the um, inclusive, inclusivity piece. Yeah. You were talking about learning mm. or something in that direction, which triggered a thought in my mind. One of the things I, one of the groups with which I work is, uh, is a group of leaders mm-hmm. in education. Yeah. And I've long been saying to these guys that you have to understand that you're no, no longer teachers. You are facilitators of learning. Yeah. And when I say that to them, they say, what? And I say, yeah, absolutely. Because they complain about the kids today and how rude they are and how, you know, they answer back and whatever it is. I mean, we had answer backing in my days as well, but, exactly. but, 
<laughs> but it's it's kind of different. They challenge you, yeah, right? Yeah. The challenge is different because they know they've spent the time. They looked it up on the internet. Google so you, said. <laughs> you know, so a teacher says this is black and you go, no, it is, you know, it is really a very dark gray. Yeah. It's not black, right? It's a <laughs> dark gray. And, and you want to engage in a conversation with the teacher and the teacher is thinking you're being, you know, disruptive you know they love that word you mean disruptive and you know detention or whatever it is that they need to change that mindset because they too are leaders okay teachers are leaders right so if you don't recognize and give these young people the space to express and explore and think i know best sort of leadership you failed they won't respect you they, they won't learn, you know, they'll think they're doing it to you, but they're doing it to themselves. But anyway, they, will, they won't learn. They'll fail to learn and absorb information. They'd fail to care about you as a teacher. And yes, they will become disruptive. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes complete oh. sense. And actually, it's, it's making me think about the, the comment that Satya Nadella um, made when he came in, wasn't it, Microsoft hmm. um, in what was it, 2016, 2017, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that we had this organization who in the early 2000s was massive and known as the preeminent one and they knew best, which is that mindset that often from a teaching profession you may hold that because you are are children and we're the adult, we know best. He came and said, you know, I don't want a company of know-it-alls, I want a company of learn-it-alls because what you've forgotten is you haven't kept learning, you haven't kept looking. And, and I think that there absolutely is that challenge. And that might lead us on to, you know, the difference between alpha and zen, actually, mm-hmm. when we think about leadership styles, where we've got people who, who sit in that real fixed mindset of, well, I've learned this and this is right. Yeah. Not recognizing that the environment and the wider system around them has, has shifted to so much that actually, yes, there's bits of it's right. And the, the concept may still hold. But either the methodology or the application has probably changed very much. Yeah. And that that now needs to be in a different place. You know, the, the basic core tenant is still the same. Yep. The way that we're going to run with it and maybe apply mm-hmm. it and tweak it and adapt it is going to be different. Yeah, I mean, it is really important that a leader today sees things differently. I mean, I, I would, Zen, the word Zen, is about seeing and being, mm-hmm. yeah? From a place where you, you, if you encompass Zen, it means that you can more easily adapt because you're seeing people as human, truly seeing people as human beings, not as human doings, you know? And you believe that there is no no problem too big that you can't solve with the right people around you, with the right approach. It's that sort of thing. It is inclusive. And that is why it will be incredibly successful. You can see even today, people are, you know, you've got alpha leaders. I talk about 
one particular in my book, uh, yeah. um, which is what prompted it. I was thinking a few others when I read the book, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But I guess the reason I used that particular leader is because it was just so so current and yeah. well-known across the world. Well, we're going to throw know. it out. We're talking about Trump here. Yeah, yeah, we are, we are, we are. Let yeah. me let me just read the 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 at the end here because you're asking about the definition. Yeah, so you know because obviously the book's called from Alpha to Zen. So what does it mean? Okay. So I have to say when I looked at the title and when I then read it, I was I was thinking I was going to go on a, on an alphabet through the journey, and then I suddenly realised no 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 this is two very different things. I've got the, I I have anticipated the concept all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay. so, so bring the listener into it. <laughs> so, so here it, it's, it says, right, um, by Alpha, what we mean is leadership defined by an acute lack of introspection, thoughtfulness mm-hmm. and planning. It is bereft of calmness and a discernible vision. The Alpha leader is characterized by a need to be adored, worshipped and to be made to feel powerful and important. Most third world nations are breeding grounds for this kind of leader. We can see that, right? And we know where that would be. Mm. On the other hand, a Zen leader is one given to thoughtfulness, introspection, and the great desire to progress along an explainable path. Such a leader only makes decisions and executes them after research, data analysis, and experts have given word about a contemplated actions credibility. That's where the inclusivity comes. Mm. Yeah, that's why I believe, especially when we look at who we're going to be leading, who is going to be leading and who they're going to be leading in the future, that's where success lies, Mm. 100%. You just have to, you know, and when I talk about leadership in the book, I talk about reading, I don't even spend enough time reading as I should. Uh, you know, we just get so busy, don't we? I know. But, I, I, that's why I've got into the podcast thing, because at least I can listen to it when I'm either, you know, going around the supermarket or uh, running or whatever. Sure. But that a quality of observing, that ability to observe what's going around on around you, not just in your business, on the global stage and not just business. You know, if there's a Black Lives Matter demonstration, Look at who's in the crowd. Look at who's, you know, who's demonstrating. You know, is it just the black? Is it just people of a certain age? Absolutely not. All of these things are signposts for me to what is to come next. Yeah. We talked about a brave new world and without a doubt, there will be another pandemic. Because we travel so much, we have the ability to travel, you know, going from here to there, borders are open, or certainly when they open again, mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. So as a leader, you have to see these things. You have to observe what's going on now and work to predict what may happen in the future and prepare yourself from that. And if you saw, bothered about being adored and being in charge and being the authority on all things. Yeah. So that you, I know it all, or I know best and all of that sort of thing. You will fail to listen. You will fail to observe. 
and therefore you will fail to deliver. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it is that I think there's been a, a rise and I think we saw a lot of this very much in the late 2000s mm-hmm. going through, you know, 2013, 2014, the rise of the hero leader. Mm. You know, if you think your way through all those leadership books, yeah. you know, there was just a whole realm of people from, top of varying fortune 500 companies everyone had wrote a book about themselves and their journey which is great you know at best they're inspirational and at worst they're egotistical yeah. um you know depending on which line of it you fell and whether or not you bought it but it didn't necessarily have any wider system view of what was going on and i think what was interesting when i read through the, the book i thought the bit for me which i thought actually if i think about what makes that you know, that Zen leader or that cutting edge leader, because one of your chapters are around cutting edge, about that, having that awareness about what's going on. For me, it's that systems thinker. So thinking yeah. on a real systemic level, not just what's going on in my team or my business or with my customers, but what's going on in my industry. How yeah. does that impact more widely into the economy? What do I have to be aware of Um you know, from a political standpoint. What's going on in a community? Exactly. What do I need need to be aware of from a cultural standpoint? What's the ethnic mix that I have in my business and what change is that bringing for me from, and and is that that happening within my community? Is it not? What are the cultural inferences? And actually really thinking on a system level because that means we make a more systemic rather than linear decision we don't expect the change or the issue that we're dealing with to go from a to b to c we realize that it's going to go like a so people are listening to this and i'm sort of trying to create a little myriad with my hands it's a lot more visual than (laughs) (laughs) you you like me to describe it to them you know what i'm talking about it's going to really help when you're listening I'm sort of imagining like a spider's web that goes out in mm. lots of different dots because actually it's interconnected in quite a wide way. And if we aren't taking that systemic view, then we aren't maybe recognizing the, the challenges that are creating the issues or the output that we're seeing closer to home. 100%. Um, I'm sure, sh- goodness. I think you wrote the book, Annabelle. Um, <laughs> I did read it. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what keeps CEOs awake at night? Back to the brave new world again. Cybersecurity. When you talk about systemic, when you thought about system-based thinking, if you exclude what's going on in the cyber world, again, you would have missed a trick because we know that it's just a matter of time. It's not if, but it's when, when it will go that far. I mean, uh, today I was listening to the whole French talking about turning off the lights in Jersey. Is that right? Yeah. How They would not have been able to do that how many years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you've got to be clued into all of this that's going on because it could impact you, your family, your business. Yeah. And understand what lies beneath, not just look at it at the surface level, what lies beneath. Mm. 
So yeah. when you think of, as I said, one of your chapters was cutting edge leader, you know, yes, having that wider system view is useful. What else? What If we want to stay on top of this, if we want to be coping with this, the pace that, you know, the 21st century is bringing and, and the last, eight, you know, sort of 18 months, in some ways, this ball was rolling already. Yes. It's just rolled a damn sight faster yes. and dialed some things forward a few years a lot quicker than it probably would sure. have. Sure. And, and I suspect that pace is going to continue, but mm-hmm. not necessarily in the same way, same areas. No. But we don't know what those are yet. So that's great. Um, how how what what does the cutting edge leader need to do to be? I'm not even going to say ahead of the game because I'm not sure you can be ahead, but you might be able to be on top. Sometimes on top is ahead, to be honest. <laughs> okay, compared to everyone else, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you need to be? Well, I take the view that um, you should never rest on your laurels as a leader. I think I, I say this to people I train all the time. You have to remain relevant. You know, it. I, I call it the cutting edge leader but it's not rocket science when you sit and you think about it that you have to constantly concern yourself with what's happening in the system what's coming down the pipe what's what is likely to happen i mean if we take for example um covid you listen to the news most of the time you think it's all it's, I'm not, and here I'm going to exclude, I'm talking about business. I'm, I'm not talking about the loss of lives because of yeah. course that is sad. The loss of business is sad. However, there are so many businesses that have done better this year than they've ever done. You hear them in, in the last 10 years. Are people aware of that? Are leaders looking at, at those businesses and wondering, okay, I see what's going on there because they were observing what's happening. You know, I, I heard a leader talk about, he, he sells um, outdoor equipment, yeah, uh, recreational equipment. He said, I sold more uh, tennis tables than I sold in, in this year in the last, than I sold in the last 10 years. Yeah. A lot of the tech companies are doing incredibly well, yeah. you know, and some of the small trades are doing well. Everybody's, at home, so they're DIYing. So all the plumbers and they, you know, so if you're a plumber sitting at home running your own business and going, oh, people aren't working, they're not gonna have money to do up their house. And you're not aware, you're not observing, you lose out. You just gotta drive around the rent neighborhood. There's more skips than you can shake a stick at. Absolutely. <laughs> Having and, an extension. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's, it really isn't, it, it, it means, keeping your eyes open and being, um, being aware of what's going on, getting the right people around you. I also think the cutting edge leader knows when to exit. You know, when it is time to exit from their role and do something new, when it's time to exit from a certain product or a certain, um, you know, uh, consumer type or whatever it is, they know when it's the time to move on to something else. A lot of us hold on to what we know because it feels comfortable, but leadership is not about being comfortable. 
you know, it's a challenge and you should feel challenged every day. And you need to understand that, yeah, I need to get the right people around you. I mean, I, I think it was uh, Richard Branson talked a lot about this, you know, in the, in the early years that he said, I'm not the cleverest guy in the bunch, but I always get the right people around me. So to be, and a lot of people would have seen him in the, certainly in the early days as cutting edge, right? Even today, yeah. I suppose, yeah, um, as cutting edge. But he didn't do it alone. He did, we talked about it, data, understood the data, had the right people around him, and then the, had the courage to take a leap. You know? So... And in some ways that can look very different in, mm. in every organization. Um, it was funny, I was reading a, an article in the Sunday Times um, on Sunday, and I'm, and I'm quite fond of this guy. James Timpson runs the, the shoe repairers. And it was really interesting. Yeah. Said, you know, everyone's obsessed with data these days. And he went, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, we repair shoes and cut keys. It's not difficult. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. He said, what I realized, he said, every time we bought a new business, we go in and we take the EPOS till out. And for me yeah. as a retailer, and you know, EPOS is the thing that gives you all yeah. your data, you go, yeah. you, you do what? You took the till out, James. Why did you do that? He said, well, he said, what was happening is people were so obsessed. They were getting all of this data and they weren't paying attention to it. So they didn't know what was going on. So if we made them just write the amount of money they had in the till each day at the end of it on a piece of paper, they remembered. And actually, they managed their business better by focusing on the few that were crucial rather than focusing on the myriad. Yeah. And and it's being, I think there's also that piece by absolutely be led by the data and understand what's going on, but also understand the stuff that's really vital to make your business run. Yeah, I, I agree. And it. I, yeah, I agree. And I would say data and data because data could be understanding your customer. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, and I don't mean that being written down or some big analysis or anything, just understanding, you know, Annabelle likes this type of coffee. And she comes in between this time and that time every day to my shop. Traffic is high at a particular time. Yeah. I don't need a, a, um, a statistician to crunch those numbers for me. No, I just need to write it down on a piece of paper when people walk through the door and I know where my where business tower is. <laughs> yes. And there we're back to observing again yeah. <laughs> because there will be people who you ask that question of and they don't know the answer yeah. you know they're not observing what's happening so that is really important you know in my book I talk a little bit about my dad and um, I don't think they would have called him an innovator or anything until long after you know maybe today they might have called him that but in his day he was just doing stuff right he was just keyed in to what was going on he understood that, you know, I think I talk about the first charter flights from the Caribbean, you know, he started up that. He observed that people coming to the island of Grenada, um, when the planes came and the boats came to the island of Grenada, that it was too full to get people, get our people onto the planes. Mm. So then you go, right, charter a plane. Yeah. And you and you think about it, 
I mean, he was innovating until, you know, I don't know, close to his death. He was still coming up with new ideas to do different things, but he probably wouldn't have called it innovation. He is just of the mind like, (laughs) no, no. He wanted to continually solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah? So you observe the problem, you observe um, the need, you observe the desire, and then you seek to fill it. Mm. So at a very basic level, if that's all you do, you would be a cutting edge leader. Yeah. And, and with that, I think also that what the, the examples that you talked about with your dad, I think he didn't see boundaries. No, no. You, you know, so that piece of often we get confined in organizations and either by our way of thinking. So we think, well, we've got to do it this way. And this is the problem that's going to come up when we see the problem. Or because there's rules and processes and policies and we've known each other for a few years and you might have realized I'm not great with a rule <laughs> I'm fine with a rule as long as it serves me well but if it doesn't serve, if it doesn't serve the job well I'm quite happy <laughs> to bypass it I mean not to get not to the point that would get me in jail but um, I draw the line at that but you yeah. know rules are just shit we made up at some point in time Absolutely. Which often is no longer relevant for the for the purpose. But how many people get confined and don't do that? Well, we could just get from A to B by cutting through that wall because the wall's only been put up there because we thought it was the right place to put it. Yeah, yeah. But we think we've got to go around the wall because we get stuck by it. And I think that can be a huge, huge barrier. And that was obviously something your dad didn't didn't see. He just went, well, who says I can't do it? it it's, it's perfectly possible. Let's just crack on. And I that's know. the best innovators who just don't see boundaries. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Not seeing boundaries. Because you don't want, as kids, they don't see boundaries, do they? No. They go like, What's that thing that person is doing? You know, they seem to be standing on two legs and walking, you know? I kind of want some of that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm walking. I kind of want some of that. So they just go like, nobody's telling them, oh, no, you can't walk because you might fall if you get up and you might hit your bum or whatever it is. Nobody tells them that. So they only learn that afterwards, but they are. Yeah, and there are no boundaries when they're crawling around and deciding I'm going to pull this down and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> there are no boundaries in that respect. So th- that's, yeah, I think, I think I'm there with you. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I know I am because that's ex- exactly how I expressed it. You, you uh, I also think that If we, where we are confined, in fact, I'll tell you a story. Now, this is not leadership. Is that all right? (laughs) Right? Can I tell you a story that's non-leadership based about boundary, about um, (laughs) confinement and all that kind of being confined, being confined or restraining yourself. So there's this story, okay, about a mother, uh, about a daughter looking up at a mother and every Sunday she would cook this piece of roast and she would cut both ends of the roast, get rid of it, throw it away, and put the roast in the oven and the roast will roast. And every Sunday they had this succulent roast. And the girl is saying to her mom, mom, why do you cut off the ends of the roast? And she said, oh, I don't know. 
Um, that's how my mom always done it, did it, you know? So I'm doing the same. So, and then the, another Sunday, they, she rings up the, her mom and she says, oh, mom, you know how you cut off the ends of the roast every, every Sunday and you put it in the oven and, and you cook it? Why do you do that? And she goes, I haven't got a clue. That's how my mom always did it. So I did it too. And luckily the great grand was there. So they asked the great grandmother, well, why, why do you do it? And um, without actually swearing on a recording, she said- I'll go away, I swear. <laughs> she said, she said, in my best Caribbean, oh, you're so damn stupid. The, 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 uh, the pan wasn't, the pan wasn't big enough. <laughs> Because <laughs> in her day, they had small ovens and small pans and the roast was too big. So every Sunday she had to cut off the both ends. <laughs> and she said, oh, they're so stupid. In my day, the pan wasn't big enough and the oven was small. So I had to cut them. And, and so the myth continues and you say it's not about leadership. It so is joy. So just, just let's just think, you know, so all, 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 everyone who's sitting listening, just think of those really random idiosyncrasies that you do. Might be at work or it might be that, you know, your parents taught you. And how much of that shit still serves us? Yeah. Right. You know, and, and if you get it into the, into the, into the world, world of work, we'll have this fable yeah. that Maureen in 1962 thought was a good thing to do. And we're Absolutely. still doing it. Absolutely. On a shelf life. <laughs> Absolutely. Let and if we bring it back to being inclusive and, and listening and observing, yeah. one of the things I always say to the leaders that I coach and, and train is that the person you get to talk to you is the newest person on the block, the newest kid on the block. It is so it's like gold to get yeah. someone who is wet behind the ears, coming into your business and then spending time in departments. You know what I tell them to do? To say, why do you do it that way? Oh yeah. <laughs> in every department you go to, just say, well, why do you do it that way? And see what happens. A lot of the time they don't know why they do yeah. it that way. And they I've haven't thought about that. doing it any other way, you know? And then we do things like uh, have suggestion boxes. Remember those suggestion oh, yeah. boxes? And all that produced was kind of like more, more milk in the fridge or <laughs> something, uh, longer break times or something like that. All the, the, the suggestions that were really useful you used to get vetted out and you used to have to, and it, and it just vanished. Too much work. It, it was too much work. Somebody got pissed off over it and didn't want to know about it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But really, I mean, it really does mean we have to keep our eyes wide open, eyes and ears and everything like that wide open. See what's going on in society, in the world, you know, around you, not around you. Um, some people stick their, you know, they, they put their nose up to certain types of um, press, for example. They will only look at a particular station because they have a certain political leaning. Mm. But I would contend that it's important for you to see all sides of the story irrespective of your leaning, you know? Why would you just listen to people you can agree with? 
let's broaden the conversation. You might learn something. But that's because people love an echo chamber because it's threatening sometimes often for their, especially if you're an of the alpha leader type, it's threatening of your own ego to have somebody disagree with you and possibly get into a debate. Yes, that has got to change. That has got to change. And if you're a leader, there is no excuse for you to be just be that narrow minded. Mm. And it is what I would call it, narrow minded. Yes. You can't, you cannot hope to achieve greatness by just looking at one side of the mirror, one aspect Mm. of who you are, who other people are, one aspect of society. You know, sometimes I drive out of my greater London pad and I drive to somewhere very random and I'm amazed at, you know, the differences that you see there in terms of the way people, you know, the houses are and the way people, you're going to a coffee shop there, the way people relate to each other. It's all here. The university is here if we care to see it. Mm. So if you were to think about the the key, there's one key theme about what it takes to be a a good 21st century leader that's come out of the conversation that we've had today, and that's observe. Mm -hmm. And to observe widely Mm -hmm. and far across the system. And then act. And and then act. Okay. So observe, look widely, act. What else? If you were to give, I don't know, five tips or so and say, look, these are the key things that you need to be doing as a leader in the 21st century, what would they be? I would say, know your values. Mm -hmm. Am I starting at the top or I'm talking? However you like, you can come into it for any angle, I don't mind. (laughs) We talked about (laughs) observing, then acting, right? I would say, know your values because, or value your values, Mm. yeah? Don't allow other people to kind of run roughshod over them or to diminish them in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Understand your unique perspective and what you have to contribute. We're unique for a reason. Mm. Yeah. There's a saying, why do we try so hard to fit in when we're made to stand out? You know, we don't all have the same thumbprint. Yeah. Yeah. So we're unique. And that is, that means that we are precious gems. We have something individual to contribute. If only we would have the courage to contribute it. Yeah. The reason, you know, all of these great leaders of, great businesses, household names today are admired, you know, it's the Google, it's the Amazon, it's the whatever, is because they had the courage of their convictions. They understood their values. They, are, they had the courage of their convictions. They included as many people as they could, and they're still doing it today, yeah? And they're willing to almost to be boundaryless. You know, Amazon, apparently, apart from the post office, by 2025 will be the largest logistics company in the US. 
Now, we're still thinking about Amazon books and Amazon is where I get this, but there are logistics. And then you have AWS. Now, if that isn't boundaryless, I don't know what is. I know. Did you hear how much money they took globally in the first quarter compared to last year? I heard, but I don't remember what the figure is. Tell me. I think, I think last year was 1.6 billion and this year was 5.6 profit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talk about businesses who do well out at the back end of the pandemic. I mean, they've done amazingly. I think we all amazingly. know the Amazon drivers' names. The other thing is courage. Um, I know for me that a lot of times in my younger, time, my younger days of managing, I didn't have the courage of my, I didn't have the courage to speak up and to speak out and to contribute and I re recognize now that I did have something to say, you know, and like you now, I can't shut up. Um, <laughs> if I'm asked an opinion, if I'm asked an opinion, it's a compliment, Annabelle. Um, if I'm asked an opinion, I will, I will offer it. Yeah, I wouldn't be shy about it because I realize that it's important. Mm. It is a disservice as a leader not to contribute some perspective or your an opinion if asked mm -hmm. and even if not asked even if you have an idea not to share that I think it's really important that you do that um, so having the courage to stand up and to stand out and to be wrong sometimes you know hey no big deal I've learned something absolutely and sometimes you know? we've got to make we've got to be courageous to take that leap to go I don't see it that way is it not this but you have to hold it lightly. Yeah. And yeah. be willing to learn. Be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've gone past five now. Be willing to learn. <laughs> you know, uh, my, my thing is that even when it's a challenge or an obstacle or you've just been through the biggest fight of all, you come out of it. Instead of thinking about it as a failure, you think, well, what am I called to learn from this? And if you don't have that failure men mentality, then it's all a learning experience. It's all fun, Absolutely. right? So there's something that happened that didn't go to plan. It just didn't go to plan. It didn't fail. It just didn't go to plan. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, um, have you come across Benjamin Zander? Uh, name sounds familiar. Hey. Go and tell me. He's a, he's a, um, he's a British uh, classical conductor mm -hmm. he's got and he he's written he's got ted talks and written books on leadership but he's got this great thing that says if it goes well then it's wonderful and if it goes wrong how fascinating yeah, yeah, yeah. that's my feeling exactly exactly <laughs> that's my feel what am i called to learn from this experience because guess what it could be you know you really got to enjoy the ride you have to you really need to grow from, stop seeing it as failures, just something that didn't go to plan. You know, in my book, I talk about the, the post-it note. Yeah, yeah. That was something that didn't go to plan, you know? And now 50 billion a year mm -hmm. are being, you know, produced and others have copied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we can't be limited. We have to be limitless. Mm. Limitless. And the only way to be limitless is to realize that you don't know what you don't know. And therefore you need to go find out what you don't know. 
And on that note, we'll leave people to go and find out what else is, is there that they don't know. <laughs> so, thank you for taking me on a journey from Alpha to Zen. You're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me to take you on this journey and coming on the journey with me. Excellent. So thank you for joining Joy and I today. I hope you enjoyed that episode as we had a bit of a rambling exploration about what Alpha to Zen leadership is and what we need to be doing as leaders for the 21st century. As I said, this one's going to be the, the last for a little while. So if you are just new to listening to The Being Leader, there's a whole 20 plus episodes to go back and dig into, picking up on some of the themes that Joy and I have just talked about around values, around um, our leadership style, around curiosity, um, and actually the type of skills that we need as a leader to sort of work more systemically. So go out and check out some of the previous episodes. And if there's any episodes or any topics which you really think we should be covering, which we haven't, then feel free to message us on any of the usual channels. And we look forward to seeing you for series two later in the year. Thanks for listening to The Being Leader. 